Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Good morning, everybody. Well, there's a term, there's a slide up here, social distancing, 2028 AD. How many of you have seen pictures like this? Every one of you. Everyone looking at the camera? Yeah, everybody out there has seen it also. The, this is some, a new terminology that's only been around for a few months. In January, people go, what's social distancing? February, they're starting to talk about it. March, I got sent home. Called telecommuting. I would have ever dreamed they would let me telecommute. Now they tell me you can't come back to work until we tell you you can come back to work. Life has changed. But this is, this is social distancing 2020. Face masks, six feet apart. But this is social distancing in 33 AD. Now, this is the 10 lepers that Conrad just read about. And actually, it's more than just 33 AD. You go back to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it talks about social distancing. In fact, in 1979, a month before I, my first date with my wife, I was in the hospital. And they misdiagnosed me and said I had typhoid. And they put me on isolation. They didn't call it social distancing, but the same thing. And they, everything was isolation. The nurse would come in the room, take all the, the garbage, disposable, put a red bag, tie it up. Another nurse would be at the door, and she'd take that red bag and drop it in the other red bag, and they'd tie it up. I was isolation. And as I sat there in the Bible, I said, in the hospital, I'm thinking, I got all this time in the hospital. I'm going to be here for a while. I'm going to read the Bible. What better time is there to read the Bible than I'm seeing in a hospital room? I started going through from Genesis to Revelation. I got far as Leviticus. <laughs> and I came across Leviticus 15. And it talked about, and I won't go, it's called TMI, too much information. I will not give you the details of my illness, okay? I, you'll thank me later. The, um, but it started describing the illnesses I was going through. And it, the Bible was describing the precautions that the hospital in 1939 was taking. Social distancing has been around for a long time. As we go into this passage here, we see that Jesus came across the people who are social distancing. In verse 11, we read, Now on his way to Jerusalem, that's only halfway through verse 11. He's on his way to Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem. When I went to Jerusalem, I bought a round-trip ticket. I've been to other places, too. I've been to New York and a few other places. I've bought a round-trip ticket. Jesus Christ did not buy a round-trip ticket. He was going to Jerusalem to die. And as he's going to Jerusalem to die, he meets a number of people along the way, and he ministers. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little moment. But... He was going to Jerusalem, and we see here, up in Galilee, I'm, I'm sorry, we're on the screen, you look, at your, you look at your TV screen, but Jesus is going from Galilee, a couple, last few weeks we were talking about Jesus walking on the water and feeding the 5,000 and so forth, that's up the Sea of Galilee. He goes down to Cana and Nazareth, and, and right there he comes into the area of Samaria, where Galilee and Samaria meet, and then he walks all the way down to Jerusalem. I've driven that route. It's a long drive. And they walked it. 
So anyway, but he goes in that area, and and um, he as he goes along the way, he ministers to the ten lepers. Now remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. He knows why he came to this world was to die for our sins. But he doesn't go long spreading ill will along the way. He comes across the ten lepers and he heals them. And he's going to be on the cross. Jesus goes down through Jericho. He meets Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he brings salvation to that household. He gets down to Jerusalem. And he goes to, uh, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus how he died and Jesus raised him from the dead. And also all along the way, Jesus' ministry, journey to Jerusalem was not mainly about healing people. That was a very minor part of his trip. We see in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was teaching and teaching and teaching. He taught his disciples. He taught the multitudes. He, taught, he had conversations with the Pharisees. He was teaching all along the way. And so... But it says here that Jesus, in continuing verse 11, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria and Galilee, Galilee was a very Jewish area. Samaria was kind of the border area where a lot of Samaritans lived. That makes sense. Samarians, Samaria is where the Samaritans lived. Now, Samaritans and the Jews, in Old Testament time, they were all the same country. They had split about 550 years, 622 B.C. And Assyria had conquered the northern kingdom, took them off to captivity. They intermarried them. They brought in their, their false gods. And a lot of the Jews up there became, in the eyes of the Jews down south, contaminated. They, they, they were not worshiping one god. They were uh, intermarried. They were, they, were, they were just... That. And then when the Jews in the southern kingdom came back from Babylon, they came back as a monotheistic religion. They worshipped only God. And the northern kingdom did not appreciate it. The southern kingdom came back, and so they had their differences. And for 550 years, they, their animosity built and built and built. And so the Jews didn't like Samaritans, and I'm sure the feeling was mutual both ways. And so we see here that Jesus... He doesn't play those games. He was going into a village. Jesus did not avoid the Samaritan area. Jesus did not social distance from those people who he did not agree with. So we can have different kinds of social distancing. You're sick, I'm going to stay away from you. We all have a chance of getting coronavirus, so we stay away from each other. Or I was in the hospital, people had contamination, you know, and, and they were afraid I was contaminated. And so there was social distancing, but we also social distance from people who are different than us. That person stinks. Or that person has a different political view than I do. And I don't really appreciate the way they talk such and such. Or that person is a, going drugs. Or that person is, has an affair with somebody else. And whatever the case is, we like to stay away from people that we do not agree with. So social distancing is more than just coronavirus. And, um, and, but Jesus did not come to social distance. We need to stay safe. I'm not promoting that we don't. But Jesus did not stop visiting people. So he went through the area of Samaria. Because while they may have different views than the Jews, Christ created every one of them. He died for every one of them. 
how can I hate someone who Christ died for? And so Jesus goes along the way and he goes into a village. Now I have a map here. That's the same map blown up. And we see Cana, Nazareth, and we see in red Galilee and Samaria. And went along the border. And I just happened to find a map that shows a village. Well, really. You won't find that map anywhere else on this planet Earth because I put that map there. I don't know where that village is. It was a village. It's not even named. Now, for 21 years, I lived in the Imperial Valley. Ten of those years, I lived in a city called Calipatria. Now, if you work in the Department of Corrections, you know where Calipatria, or you've heard of it, but if you're not part of the Department of Corrections, no one, unless you live in the Imperial Valley, knows about Calipatria. I lived in Brawley. A few more people know about Brawley. They have cattle called rodeo. But I used to, when I would go out of the valley and I'd go to San Diego, people would say, where are you from, Brawley? Where's that? That was the next county over. And a lot of you may be going, Calipatria, where's that? And I mean, people, it's just like, they don't know. And, and Christ did not just go to the large towns. He went to a village. And he went to the outcast within that village. So you could be in some faraway place by yourself, social distancing from everybody else in a little tiny, tiny place, and Christ will come to you. Hallelujah. Going on to verse 12. And this is... I'm, as he was going into a village, what we just read, ten men who had leprosy met him. Now, we go into, and they called out in a loud voice. Well, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit more. And in Leviticus 13.45, just going back to Leviticus, early, early on in the Bible, time of Moses, anyone with such a defining disease, defiling disease, I'm sorry, Though anyone with such a defiling disease must cry out, unclean, unclean. Now, can you imagine having an ailment that you have to separate yourself? You have a nice job, you have a nice family, you have, a wonderful, uh, you have wonderful kids, you have wonderful relatives, and you're respected in the community, and now you have to leave the city. And you have to tell everybody, unclean. And you're now... Separate from your family, you can't hug your wife or your husband anymore. You can't hug your kids anymore. You can't hug your parents anymore. You can't pet your dog anymore. Um, and you, you, you're no longer the person at work that everyone goes to and say, Hey, uh, tell me about this, or what should we do, or are you going to pay me this Friday? Um, you're, you're an outcast. And not only are you an outcast, you lost everything, but you're still alive. You have to tell everybody, unclean, stay away from me. You want to hug him, but you have to say, stay away from me. How awful it must have been to live a life like that. And he, and, but the crying out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, it says they cried out in a loud voice. They, they cried out in a loud voice. One thing... I just learned about leprosy. By the way, leprosy has only been cured. They came up with a cure in 1921, 3,000 years after they wrote Leviticus. I hope they don't take that long for coronavirus. Um, the, the, 
By the way, we're social, for those on TV, we're social distancing here. You should see these pews. They're really far apart. And so anyway, um, but the people who had leprosy, it doesn't affect just their skin. Their skin is deteriorating. Their skin is de- de- falling apart. It's, it's, it stinks because it's decomposing. But it affects the throat and the nose as well. And so when they have to cry out, they can't speak very loud because their throat hurts. And so the ten of them cried out together because maybe they can't be heard with just a little voice, but all of them together, maybe Jesus can hear them. We have what we call support groups. Support groups are where people with a similar problem come together and they help each other. This was a leprosy support group. Now, they saw Jesus coming by. They heard about Jesus. Jesus' reputation went ahead of them. They didn't say, who's Jesus? No, they heard Jesus coming by. The, Jesus had spent most of his ministry up in the Galilee area, and they knew his teachings. They knew how he healed people, how he fed 5,000 people, how he did this, how he did that, how he walked in the water. I'm sure the stories went around everywhere. And Jesus is coming by here. They weren't saying, Jesus, unclean, unclean, stay away. No, they're, come here, come here. Now, we all like Jesus being our Savior. Am I correct? Everyone on TV? Yeah, you're waving your hand too. Good, good. Um, I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, People love Jesus being the Savior, but Jesus wants to be more than our Savior, and these guys had it right. Jesus, Master. If you are in a terrible car accident, you're driving down the road, something happens, you're knocked unconscious, the car breaks out and it starts to fire. In about 10 seconds, you're going to be inflamed, you're going to be crisp. And somebody comes up, they open the door, they take a knife, they cut your seatbelt, they drag you out of there just before the car goes kaboom. That person is your savior. But is he, is he your master? The guy beats up his wife. He can't hold a job. He's on drugs. No, he is not my master. He saved me. He is my savior, but no, he is not my master. I, Jesus wants to be more than our savior. Praise God, he is our savior. But a savior is the one that punches your ticket when you walk into heaven. He wants to be one that we, when he says to follow him, we follow him. He guides us. He leads us. Everything he does, we do. He's our role model. Because I need him. Because without him, I'm nothing. If we meet, you meet me, you forget me, you've lost nothing. If you meet Jesus Christ, you forget him, you have lost everything. And so Jesus wants to be more than your Savior. He wants to be your master. And these guys had it right. They said, Jesus, master. Of course, just because they said master doesn't mean they're going to make him master. But at least they had the right words. Now, it's possible that when things are not going right, I can start bargaining with God. Oh, please, God. If you'll help me through this problem, I'll start tithing. If you, if you, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll start being nice to my wife. Please, God. That's bargaining. And God goes, okay. He answers my prayer. 
No, I'm not going to live up to it. I made a promise, doesn't mean I'm going to keep it. And these ten men were making a promise. They were saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy. I have pity on us. So, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. I'm sure there's a lot more conversation went on between Jesus walking up saying, go show yourself to the priest. I'm sure he said, hi, how you guys doing? And talk some, what's going on? And then he says, go show yourself to the priest. Jesus didn't say, abracadabra, kazam, you're healed. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. He was calling them to do action. Jesus often does things. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fate of the 5,000. I don't, like I said then, I don't think Jesus just took five loaves and two fishes and poof, there's two truckloads of bread and fish. He said, divide the fish up, don't break it up, and divide it. And, and um, when Christ healed the man by the pool of Siloam, by the sheep gate, he said, pick up your mat and walk. The guy said, are you kidding? I'm, I'm a cripple. I can't get up. I'm crippled. No, he didn't say, you're healed. He said, get up. Christ often called us to do something. Now, in Matthew, there's another story about how Christ healed a leper, a different man. In that case, Christ healed him, and then he said, go show yourself to the priest. Christ will do things different based upon the people who he is talking to. There is no magic solution that God will always do it the same way. He knows each of us are individuals. He'll work with us as individuals. But he tells them to go, and he's telling them to be obedient to the law. In Leviticus 13.37, it says, If the affected person is healed, they are clean, and the priest shall pronounce them clean. Remember, this is back when there was no, lep- when there was no cure. But they didn't, mark, right, they didn't do away with the possibility of no cure. Even though there's no medication that can cure them, it was known to be an incurable disease, there's still that, that possibility. And sometimes miracles happen. And also in my case, it could have been misdiagnosis. Whatever the case was, go show yourself to the priest. I didn't walk out of the hospital. They said I can leave. And I did. I was so happy to get out of there. So... They, he didn't ask them for, to do anything else. He just asked them to be obedient. And when we follow Jesus and he is our master, he asks us to be obedient and we need to do what he says. In verse 14b, the verse 14, but the second part of that verse, it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. We are often called upon to obey God even if we don't know what the answer is going to be. We need to act in faith. Because what faith is it? Well, you haven't healed me yet. I'm not going to stand up. Why not go ahead and say, thank you, Jesus? We'll get into that thank you more a little bit later. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Now, it'd been nice if the, if the support group was there. It'd been 10 people praising God. Now, he, he was praising God in a loud voice. First off, he always knew how to use a voice loud. Even though it might have been kind of weak, he, was, he always was told to cry out, unclean, unclean. Well, if he can cry out unclean, he can definitely say, I'm clean, I'm clean. 
He's not going to say, well, I'm not sure it might offend somebody. <laughs> you know, when I met my wife and we got engaged, I was telling everybody. I was proud to, and happy with her as my fiance, as my wife. We've been married for 40 years now. And I'm still happy about her. She's a great wife. Uh, stick with my first one. I love her. Um, but... <laughs> I am not ashamed of her. And as Jesus, we are not ashamed of Jesus because he is more than just our Savior. He is our Master. And with this guy who had leprosy, he was happy because he was changed. Now, as I have served, worked in the prison system as a chaplain for 21 years in the prison, five years up here at headquarters, the thing I learned at the prison, those guys understand grace. And they know they don't deserve it. And I have met so many on fire Christians who are wearing blue because they understand. They've been to the depths and they know what it means to be loved and forgiven and forgiven. Not just, no, I forgive you, but like, I don't deserve it. And the Lord loves me anyway. And there are some, some, some very vocal Christians in prison because they know what it's like, like not to be. I'm going to talk about that again a little bit later. I kind of jumped ahead. So, in verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was Samaritan. Now, okay, he was Samaritan. And we're going to head to 17. And Jesus asked, were, there not, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are the nine? Where did the nine go? What happened? Well, Jesus, you have to give him credit. Jesus didn't ask them to come back and give thanks. He said, go. And they were obeying Jesus. Jesus said, go. I left. If I get back to that priest, the priest says, yeah, 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 you're, you're clean. I can go back to my family. I can go back to my job. I can go back to whatever I was doing before. I can go, you know, hug my wife, hug my kids, pet my dog. And their life was about themselves. Jesus healed them. But there wasn't the acknowledgement of who healed them. They were being obedient to Jesus. But Jesus says, where are the other nine? Where are the nine? One thing also, the fact he was a Samaritan... There's a danger for those of us who grew up in the church. I accepted the Lord when I was eight years old. And I grew up in the church. Unlike the inmates who I ministered to at the prison, I didn't spend a life on drugs. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't uh, do any other crime. I mean, I did get a speeding ticket a couple times in my life. And so I, I may not realize grace as much as those guys do there. Sometimes we in the church can get immune to the love of God. Praise God, God healed someone that next week. You remember that person God healed? Who, what, huh? We can get so used to the greatness of God, we can, we, we can fall in the trap of taking him for granted. We're the nine. Well, these are Jews who understood the Torah. They understood the Old Testament. They knew all about Moses. And here's a Samaritan that didn't grow up in the Jewish synagogue, 
Samaritan, grew up in the temple, and he gets healed of his leprosy. He knows that Christ, who's Jewish, healed him. And, and so he is very grateful, and we need to be careful that we in the church do not get so used to God and Jesus Christ that we take him for granted. And so he says, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? They said, rise. Verse 19, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I like the King James. I love the NIV. I always read from the NIV. But the King James says a little bit different. In fact, they even got a picture of an old Bible. 1611. No, just kidding. Um, it says, instead of Thy faith has made you well. Your, thy faith has made you whole. The nine were made well. They're cured of their leprosy. But where their lives changed, they can go back and be with their family, get to the jobs, do whatever they want to do. They can go in the marketplace and have fun, go to Disneyland. I didn't have Disneyland yet. But anyway, they can do all this stuff again. But where their lives changed, this man comes back to Jesus. Says, Master, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't stop thanking you, Lord. And not was he crying with a loud voice, he was kneeling before him. His life is made whole. Not only is he cured of leprosy on the skin, he no longer has leprosy on the heart. Leprosy on the heart is what heats away at our soul. You can't see it, but it affects you. Not like leprosy on the skin. We need to be made whole. We're not just saved for eternity walking to heaven. We're saved from the life of sin and anger and frustration. We can now say thank you. We can, still, we can say praise you God. And so what happens when thanks is given? Well, what happens with, when Jesus was given thanks? He appreciated now, there's two things I want to mention. When we give, when Jesus, the need to give thanks to Jesus and the need to give thanks to others. When thanks is given, we need to constantly thank Jesus. Let's not take Jesus for granted. We also need to give thanks to others. Tell your wife, tell your husband, thank you. Tell your kids, thank you. Tell your boss, thank you. Whenever you go to a store, and even though they're just doing their job, and they ring you up and you pay them the money, you say thank you. Now, they say thank you because you're the customer, but when you're the customer, you say thank you to them. Why? Because they're giving their time to help you out. Even if it's only their job, say thank you. Now, let's look at it from the other way, when thanks is given to us. We appreciate it. We need that thanks. It hurts when you just spend your whole life feeling you're just being taken advantage of. We need to be thanked. And so, as we need to be thanked, let's give other people thanks also. But what happens when thanks is not returned? You spend your time, uh, you're, the, you're the, the mom, you spend all the time cooking and and 
doing all the stuff and cleaning the floor and the bathroom. Then you're doing all this work and you're not giving a thanks for it. It's like, okay, mom, I want something else for dinner. I hear some laughing out there. Or, or, or you're the husband and you're working real hard and you get the paycheck and everything else and it's like you don't get any real thanks for that. Or you're the kid and you finally do something you don't get any thanks. You went out of your way to help out and you're not thanked. And, and when thanks is not returned, let's take a moment and look at Jesus. He said, where are the nine? What happened? But when thanks is not returned, it hurts. Not that we have to have it, but when we are not thanked, do we say, forget you. You didn't thank me for this. I worked real hard. I'm never going to make dinner for you again. <laughs> I hear some laughing on that one, too. Um, I hear some laughing out there in TV land. Um, <laughs> No, Jesus never said, because you didn't thank me, I'm not going to help you. Christ died on the cross for us, correct? And he didn't receive thanks from everybody for dying on the cross. Some people still curse him. He didn't say, I'm not going to go to the cross for you because you're not going to thank me. He, he died for us anyway. He rose from the dead for us anyway, even though many people would never thank him for what he did. He still did what is right. And if we don't get the thanks that we want, we still need to do that which is right because our job is not to live just for the thanks. Because if we go around just wanting everyone to thank us, we're going to be thoroughly disappointed. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be emotional basket case. He didn't help me. He didn't like me. And then we're going to be wearing our heart on our sleeve. So when we are not thanked, Praise God because we get to experience the same thing Jesus experienced. And if Christ is willing to not be thanked, then we need to go through life being willing not to be thanked. If we do not receive thanks from others, God, our Savior, will. So even if we go our way to help somebody and they do not acknowledge what we've done, Jesus knows what we did. Jesus knows. And it's more important that Jesus knows than what they know. In fact, sometimes it's kind of a pleasure to live our lives to say, I'm not going to do it for the thanks. I'm just going to do what is right because it's what God wants. If I get thanked, huh, that's nice. But I'm not going to do it for the thanks. God will always acknowledge what we've done. Now, one thing also is expressing thanks. I can't even read my own notes up there. <laughs> oh, oh, increase our faith. Okay. I can, there's a screen over here that's bigger. I'm trying to look at the little TV screen back there, and, you know, um, my eyes aren't perfect. I don't have eagle eyes. But expressing thanks increases our faith. Now, there's two ways of praying. There's two ways of praying. One is... Dear God, please, God, oh, please, please, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to answer this prayer, God. I'm really hurting. Please, God. Now, is that a fun prayer to listen to? What if you're God? You're God, you're hearing this person going, I don't know if you're going to answer this prayer, God. 
That's a prayer with lack of faith. But let's say we say, God, you're awesome. And I know you love me. And I know you love everyone in this world. I know you always care about us. I know you're going to do that, which is right. Now, this is my request, God. I'm not sure if that's good. And you're going to answer my request the way I want. But if you don't answer the way I want, I know you're going to answer it right. So I'm going to thank you, God, because you're awesome. And if you don't answer the way I want, then I didn't need that answer anyway. <laughs> so it increases our faith because we know that God is bigger. Because right now, if, if I'm focused on this problem, that problem becomes my God. If I focus on God... That problem is no longer my God. And God is a lot bigger than my, God, my, my problem. And even if this problem, let's say the problem takes my life. Well, a lot of people have died over the years, but we have eternity to look to, look forward to. So, you know, God is always greater. We are happier and healthier. And the emotions, if we are happier and healthier because we know that God is in control, we have more energy. And we have a better outlook. We come across someone who is all depressed. And we can encourage them. Even though we may be the same political party with them. And they're depressed about the other political party. And we don't like the other political party either. And we may agree with them. But they're depressed. And we're happy. Why? Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Hallelujah. And so we're happier. And we know that God is there for us. So... Coming to the end, rejoice always. I'm going to jump from Luke to 1 Thessalonians, because I love this passage. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. <laughs> I like that. And, and rejoice in the Lord always. To always give thanks. And not just singing the happy song, but rejoice in the Lord always. Because God is always there. He's always, he always brings victory through problems. Pray continually. And be, pr- praying continually means we're always in an attitude of prayer. We're driving down the road. Are we praying? Well, have, thank you, Lord. That's a really nice flower you put on the side of the road. And we're not saying, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this wonderful day. I want to thank you, God, that you placed this beautiful flower by the side of the road. No, we're just saying, thank you, Jesus. That flower is beautiful. Praying continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, one thing I kind of missed over uh, earlier, but giving thanks. Now, every Sunday, we, we, at offering time, we ask you to give to the church. Give to God's ministry. If you're not, if you're not Christian, don't give, because you know, basically it's for the family of the church, for the church family to give. But do you know that when we give to the church, we give to God financially, we're giving back to him what is already his. Because we belong to God. If I belong to God, then everything I own belongs to God. Now let's say I don't worship God. I don't worship any God at all, or I worship some other religion, and I don't believe God exists. I'm an atheist. Do I still belong to God? Yeah, I belong to God. It doesn't matter what I believe, I belong to God. I may be miserable, but I belong to God. And so if I give money to God, to his ministry, I'm giving him what is already his. Do you know that praise is the only thing, praise and thanks is the only thing you can truly, truly, truly give to God that's from you? 
Now, is your praise going to compensate God for what he's done for you? No. No way can we ever thank him, pay him enough dollars to compensate for our salvation. We cannot pay him enough shekels to pay for his dying on the cross. We cannot pay him enough anything because what he's done for us is so much greater than what we have. But our praise is what we can truly give to God because it comes from our heart. When I was a, a long, long time ago, I saw this little girl, went up to her dad, said, Daddy, can you give me some money? I want to buy you a birthday gift. Uh, he probably would rather use the money for something else than what she's going to buy him, but she gave him something that she wanted to give him. It was her effort to go off and buy him something and say, I love you, Daddy. It was his money that she gave him a gift, but it was an action of love. That's what God wants from us. He wants our praise because it shows relationship. And so going back to this last verse, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, these, these lepers gave thanks when they were cured. Give thanks when you're not cured. Give thanks in all circumstances. If God healed you, praise God. Corey Tin Boom, who was in a German concentration camp during World War II, and her sister were in the same concentration camp. Christians. And Corey's sister said, Corey had a dream. By the end of the year, we're both going to be free. Corey got released by mistake. Technicality, mistake. Her sister died. They were both free by the end of the year. Her sister was with the Lord. So we give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Our God's will is to give thanks to God. Before we go to the word of prayer, I'd like to mention that after the service, for those of you who are here, and those of you on TV, watching, have your own prayer time, but Dennis Carroll is going to have a prayer time for those of us who want to join in prayer and giving thanks to God in prayer. So let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer this time in closing. Heavenly Father, first off, I want to say thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. There's no way we can pay you back. We thank you, Lord. We appreciate you. And Lord, as we leave here today, I pray you will continue to be in praise to you. Continually, in good situations, in bad situations, in health, and in illness, in whatever the situation is, Lord, I pray that you'll help us keep our heart and lives focused on you, thanking you for what you've done. We give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.